0: Grace and peace to you from our risen and ascended Lord, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel lesson, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. To remind you of that account, I will read the first verse. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. This is the word of our Lord. If it was a snake, it would have bit you. I hate that statement because I hear it all the time. I was the child when we would go hunting. Dad would say, there's antelope off to the left. I would look to the right. I was short so I couldn't see over the dashboard of the truck. If it was a snake, it would have bit you. And we still do that as adults, don't we? And and lots of times the thing we're looking for, it's because it's not quite the same appearance. There's something right over the corner, a sheet of paper or something, and we miss it. If it was a snake, it would have bit you. We see that with three people today in our text. And so today our sermon theme is as we look at the empty tomb, don't miss the glory and the grace. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Mary was sad. This guy was really kind and loving to her. I mean, really kind and loving to her, almost like God. Oh, wait, he is God. He's the God-man. And although he had been telling them that he was the Savior, although he had been telling them about his death and his resurrection, Mary was overwhelmed with sadness. Instead of rejoicing and running and saying, the tomb is empty, she ran and said, they've taken him. With mistaken sadness, Mary has missed the glory and the grace. And I don't say that condemning her, especially since I'm the person who hears all the time, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. Mistaken sadness. And we can get confused at that as we look even at Good Friday. There are lots of movies and stuff like that that emphasize the cruel punishment Jesus received at the hands of men. We can look at the fact that he got railroaded, people plotted against him, they knew he saved others, they knew he did miracles, and they hated him and wanted to get him out of the way. But we then would miss that he suffered the abandonment of God the Father so that you and I will never be abandoned by God. With mistaken sadness, we can focus on the wrong things. Yes, Jesus truly suffered, and as a man, he truly felt the pains of the lashes and that. But don't miss the empty tomb. The empty tomb is a receipt that God the Father has given you. Your sins are paid for in full. The resurrection is yours, property of you. And we can miss that with mistaken sadness when we lose someone we love to Eternal glory. Someone who trusted in the Lord. We can get confused. Yes, we're going to miss them. Yes, life is going to be different without them. But don't weep as if it's a terrible thing and we're never going to see them again. Because that empty tomb means... They're in heaven with their Lord, and He will raise them up with a new and glorified body. Oh yes, we'll miss them in this life, and we're sad at that. But don't have a hopeless sadness. Have a rejoicing that they're in paradise while mourning their absence, recognizing that because of that empty tomb, there's going to be a great big family reunion with us Christians. Don't miss the glory and grace with mistaken sadness. See the joy of that empty tomb. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. A lot of theologians have spilt a lot of ink over why John beats Peter to the tomb. And I often laugh, you can overthink things. Maybe John just simply was a faster runner. He gets there first. John's a little different personality than Peter. You know, Peter's kind of a a grab-the-bull-by-the-horns kind of guy. John steps back to think about things. We'll get back to John here in a minute. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Now, here's where logic should have helped them. They didn't do fingerprinting in those days so people didn't have to wipe down a crime scene. But if the body had been stolen, they wouldn't have taken the time to take it out of those burial cloths and fold them up neatly. If they'd have fallen up, they probably would have either left them or grabbed them and hustled out before they got busted, right? Isn't it amazing how we can use our logic in bad ways? And the Lord promises things and we say, oh, that can't be. And then when the logic actually will help us, we can miss that too. Peter should have been able to say, huh, these are folded up. Oh, 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 yeah, that's right. I'm the guy. Three months earlier, Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I will be, I will be betrayed. I will be handed over to the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the elders. They're going to get involved with the Gentiles, the Romans, and they're going to crucify me, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. And what did Peter say? Peter rebuked the Lord. He said, stop talking this way. And Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan, for you have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. It should have clicked with Peter. If it was a snake, it would have bit him. John, a little different. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Ah, oh, there we go. John gets it because all through Holy Week, several months later, that Jesus all throughout Holy Week tells him At the end of the week he's going to die and he's going to rise again on Sunday. John gets it, but then he adds that little explanation clause. Though he believed Jesus is risen, but is something missing? They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And they went back to their homes. They too had a mistaken wonder. They missed the glory and the grace with uncertain wonder. John gets that he's raised, but doesn't get the big picture. Misses the forest from the trees. You and I would do the same thing. Jesus would appear to them, breathe on them, give them an extra measure of the Holy Spirit. He'd remind them, and then they'd go, you know, the old, could have had a V8. They'd connect the dots and get it. But you see, the biggest thing that was hindering them was they wanted and were expecting a different kind of Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who would be a political king, who would give them nice things of this world. And so as Jesus time and time and time again told them, I'm going to die for your sins and rise so that heaven will be yours. They were hearing, you're going to put a weapon on them Romans and chase them out of town. Great, let's do this. They had mistaken what kind of Messiah that they were looking for. People get upset that the sermon always talks about how Christ has died, risen, and forgiven your sins. Well, we need to hear it all the time because just like those two disciples, we have a sinful nature that time and time again, it doesn't want to hear that because that's actually the death of the sinful nature, but the continued life of the new man that the Holy Spirit has given us that clings to the cross. We want to remember too that the evidence is right before them, and they're still not quite connecting up the dots and getting the whole thing. When I was a child, I remember there was a program called In Search Of, and this one was, was narrated by Leonard Nimoy, guy who used to play Spock. And, and it, this one was called In Search Of Noah's Ark. And I remember they they interviewed this man who had claimed that him and his father, he was 12 years old, that uh, had led a group of people up to see the ark, that they'd paid his father to head up the expedition. And and supposedly, I don't know if this story is true or not, when these people found the ark, uh, they got out their ice axes and tried to destroy it. And then Leonard Nimoy showed uh, satellite photography of this blob on Mount Ararat. By the way, the scripture says it rested on the mountain range of Ararat probably has dissolved by now through being exposed to the extremes. But that's another story. I remember, as a child, though, thinking, there it is! Why don't people see this and believe? Why Why can't people just drive up there and show it, and then everybody will know the Bible's right? And then Leonard Nimoy explained how government pressures wouldn't let people see it. I, I don't know how much of that story truly is true or not. I'm, but the truth of the matter is, I, I've come to realize... Even if they could find the ark intact, people still wouldn't believe. They would say, okay, every ancient civilization seems to have a flood account in it, so which one is it? Or they would say, it's a hoax. Somebody found an ancient boat and used helicopters to get it there. They, They still wouldn't believe. This is what... Abraham told the rich man, you know, in the story of uh, in the account of rich man and poor Lazarus, when he says, "Please send Lazarus, bring him, raise him from the dead, and and, and tell him to warn my brothers so they don't end up here." And Abraham says, "They have Moses and the prophets. That was what they called the Old Testament at that time. That was the Bible. So he says they have the Bible. If they won't listen to them, Moses and the prophets, the Bible, they won't believe. Even if someone rises from the dead, hint, hint." The truth of the matter is, even that evidence will misinterpret it. Our logic will fail us. People like to give testimonials, and lots of times those are nice, but but even those testimonials don't have the oomph and the power of the Word of God. Because the Word, the Bible, that's the one where God promises His Holy Spirit is at work. Peter and John had uncertain wonder. John admits that he got it, but he didn't get it. If it was a snake, it would have bit him, and yet he still missed it. So Jesus comes, gives them the Holy Spirit, reminds them of His Word, boom, then they get it. Don't miss the glory and the grace with mistaken sadness. Or with uncertain wonder. The word outweighs all other things. That's where God promises to work and that's what we cling to. The word that we're here to celebrate this morning. So let's go back to Mary. The disciples go home and there's Mary standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. White. God uses white for holiness. Time and time again. Usually, when angels appear, the first thing they have to say is, Don't be afraid so that you don't mess your pants in fear. They're letting the holiness they have shine through. It's the glory of God's holiness, it's the fact that they are sin free. Mary should have connected the dots, like you and I. She missed it again. Those angels' glory, showing with holiness, should have said, wait a minute, my God's a glorious God, something big is going on here. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. How could she miss it? Again. When you're looking for one thing, she is looking for a corpse. She's not looking for a Lord who's victorious over sin and death. And let me remind you, throughout Jesus' earthly life, He hid His Godhood. He did not let all of His glory shine through. He's now ascended in heaven and is ruling over all creation, using all of His Godhood for you. And maybe the things we would think of are glorious are not what the Lord would think of as glorious. For example, as we'll learn soon, on another Sunday, Doubting Thomas, Jesus shows him the hands and the hole in his side. Those are part of his glory. Mary was looking for something else and mistakes him for the gardener. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary... She recognizes the voice. Finally it clicks. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! This isn't like my second grade and third grade and fourth grade teachers. Rabboni means somebody who really had something very important to teach and highly respected. Don't miss the glory and grace of the Lord either. And she was not doing this. Too many people think of Jesus as a nice guy who had a nice message that says, can't we all just get along and maybe love each other? And they miss He died for us and rose so that we have eternal life. There's more to him than just a few wise teachings. And that's really what Mary meant by Rabboni. Jesus says, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. We can misunderstand even what Jesus is saying here. He's going to be showing himself for 40 more days before he ascends. Don't hold on to me. You're going to see me some more. I'm not leaving yet. But i got a message I'm entrusting to you. God's glory is not the glory of the world. The world sees glory in riches and in fame. God's glory is that empty tomb. God's glory is the fact that He has purchased and won you and I. We were slaves to sin, death, and the devil. And by the cross, He busted our chains to that slavery. That's His glory. The grace is He did all the work so you and I don't have to pay one ounce for it. And yet too often Christians get mistaken and think that they have to be sorry enough or they have to pay enough or they have to do their best. And they are taking that salvation away from the Savior. Jesus, the proof that Jesus proved your sins are paid for in full by that empty tomb. It's your receipt. Cling to it. And then in His grace... I always teach the acronym GRACE to my catechism kids so they understand what grace means. It's gifts received at Christ's expense, G R A C E. He pays for them, he gives them freely, no strings attached. And he gives her a wonderful gift. He sends her to go tell his disciples he's risen. Mary gets to be the first one to proclaim this message the Lord is risen. And we're told Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told him that he had said these things. We don't want to miss the glory and grace of our Lord with unrecognizing eyes, confusing his glory for worldly glory, or confusing his grace, gifts received at Christ's expense, free gift of salvation, freely giving to us for something that we earn and pay for or misunderstand. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, we've gathered this morning because the tomb is empty. We shout out, He is risen. This means our salvation is won. We come to hear that word, so it clears away our confusion that we want to cling to every day. And we don't miss the glory and the grace with mistaken sadness, with uncertain wonder, or simply with unrecognizing eyes that confuses the glory and the grace. And we rejoice, even though we will confuse these things in our life, He didn't. And He's given them to us, and His Word constantly makes it clear to us. You are saved. Amen. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.